Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Good morning, City on a Hill. Are you guys looking a little sleepyish? I'm going to move this over because of the sun. So why don't we just stand up real quick. Give yourself a quick stretch. Yeah, I want you guys awake. You need to be vibrant here. All right, we're just going to have a quick word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this beautiful Sunday, Father. We thank you for this opportunity to be amongst our brothers and sisters, Father. Lord, we invite you into this place, Lord, that you would speak, you would abide, your presence would flow, Father. Lord, that you would have your way today, in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. All right, you guys have a seat. All right, so, I'm coming this morning packing a little heat. And we're going to be talking, uh, basically I'm going to be telling you three stories. The first one is in Matthew, chapter 8, verse 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull that out or you can take out your phones. And I'd like to start with just reading the scripture. We're going to go right into it. Everybody there? And for many of you, this is a very familiar story. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury the dead. That famous line. When I was reading it, I was thinking of Pastor Tom. And if he was reading it, he'd have like a Southern Baptist stroll and let the dead bury the dead. And then he'd lick the corner of his lip, as Pastor Tom would when he'd get in there. So a couple observations. So we see Jesus, right? And all these multitudes were around him. And we have this scribe, right? The Bible says it's a scribe. And who are the scribes? They're like, kind of like a mixture of teachers, lawyers, administrative assistants, these people had some clout. They, they served the upper echelon of society. Give or take, they served the clergy. And whatever was going on there, the scribes were the ones that taught the people what the laws were. All right, does that make sense? So this scribe comes up and said, I will follow you wherever you go. Right? In the midst of all, this, all, the, this, all these multitudes. And Jesus' response is very sobering. And I love Jesus because he just tells the truth. And he says, listen, okay, but keep in mind... Foxes have a place to sleep, and birds of the air have a place to sleep, but I don't. If you come with me, you're essentially going to be homeless. If you come with me, you're going to be at the mercy of the call. You're going to be in the hands of God, literally. You'll be in the hands of the people, literally. You want a place to sleep? You want food to eat? The ministry will have to provide. The Lord will have to provide. If you're willing to do that, come right along. Here's the path. And that brings us to a question. And you should keep in mind, I'm going to be asking tons of questions, so maybe you want to have a question partner. Is there any part in your life, is there any part of you that is dependent, reliant on God, willfully? Is there any part of you that is reliant or dependent on the body of Christ, willfully? Ooh, it got real quiet there. (laughs) That's okay. This is the first question that he asked, and he asked a choice... He asks a question that brings this man to a choice. And the choice is, fan, 
I saw you wave your hand, and I saw you so- show up. You all showed up to church today. That's awesome. I saw you say, hey, I'm going to follow you. That was awesome. Or follower, are you going to come with me? You said you would. I told you what it's going to cost you to come with me. Are you still going to come? Let's go to the second guy. Let that descend on you for a second. So the second man, then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, when I first heard this, I thought the same thing. I thought, this is harsh. Whoa, like just going for the jugular, right? And we get the obvious observation. So we think, all right, well, spiritually dead people move away. Um, we think of the actual father. Now, in some of the text uh, 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 commentaries, they've said that this man was waiting for his father to die. In other commentaries I read, it said that the father had passed away and now he was waiting a span of about a year to rebury his father to then put him into the wall. Either way, there's a situation going on here where he, this man is saying, um, I just need more time, right? But there is a distinction being made in the text. And that distinction is very clear. The first man was a scribe. The second one was a disciple. Jesus knew this man already. When he makes the comment to him, let the dead bury their own dead, he's not talking about it in an unfamiliar text or an unfamiliar state. He's saying to him very, very matter-of-factly, how long are you going to let that situation keep you from me? How long are you going to let that relationship keep you from me? How long are you going to let this area of your life that we've talked about, that we've seen, that I have compassion for, keep you from going deeper or following me. When we take it into that context, it's so much more personal. Because this man is saying, wait, don't go anywhere. Stay here while I attend to my things and my life. And when I'm done with my stuff, then I'll come follow you, Jesus. How apropos is that for us today? He's also making another character distinction. In the culture, honoring your parents was like number two on the list of the Ten Commandments. Like that was huge. And how you honored them and treated them kind of set you up in society. Like this is a good guy. He takes care of his parents. A little bit different today. The only thing that would really trump honoring your parents would be honoring God. And Jesus in this moment is saying very, very matter-of-factly, I'm God, come with me. Let those things go. My kingdom will handle those things for you. And so much of our lives, I think we forget, and this is a little side note, but I think we forget that a lot of times we gather in church to celebrate and prepare ourselves for and encourage ourselves for what comes next. We understand as Christians that this is just a blip, right? This is just a small time period that we exist here in this place. And we're promised heaven in the next and not just heaven on the cloud and the harp. You've heard Pastor James and Pastor London and Pastor Joe talk about this. Heaven is not just sitting on a cloud playing the harp. How boring. But we're going to be going somewhere where we have things to do. There's a mandate for us. There is enjoyment for us in this next realm. Right? I hope I don't lose my track. <laughs> so these followers of Jesus. Now, this disciple saw miracles. He saw the gatherings. He heard the teachings. He was not new to Jesus. So this comment about let, let, that, let that stay 
because you know what I can do, do. You say you believe who I am. Come and follow me. And mind you, the first thing that Jesus says is follow me. He doesn't, he's not harsh in saying, forget them, forget your situation, forget what you're dealing with. He says, no, follow me and please let those things lie. My kingdom will handle everything else. We know the Bible verse, choose the Lord first. We, we, we know the verse, choose God first and everything else. Seek the Lord first and everything else will be added unto you. Right? Who's still with me? All right. So again, we have the choice. Fan or follower. Up until this point, the second man was kind of a follower. He was kind of in, kind of out. He was cool. But now, Jesus is about to depart. Are you coming? Are you in? And he had a very, very candid way of weeding people out. It wasn't that he was trying to weed people out, but he gave them the truth. Are you choosing the life that you have right now, this world, the cares of this world, the accumulation of this world? The first scribe, you wouldn't have a house, Mr. Scribe. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have popularity because once you got popular one place, we're moving to the next place. Your ego's not going to be fed walking with me. Your family might judge you for walking with me. How many people can ex have experienced that? You've experienced that? Walking with me comes at a cost, but there's something more in there. I want to get to that. Let's start that. Boys, if you would. We're just getting set up for something that's coming next. You know me. Come on. So I was thinking about fan versus follower while they're helping me out here. And I was thinking about a time, um, I was a big Knicks fan, especially in the 90s. I loved the Knicks. Patrick Ewing, there was no better player in the NBA for me than Patrick Ewing. And I'll never forget the time. It was uh, Knicks versus Bulls. My guys were there. We would, I'd be in front of the TV. My heart was in every move. And I'll never forget the time. They almost won it, except for that doggone Charles Smith. <laughs> and I was depressed, despondent. I wouldn't watch TV. I was mad at everyone. I was, I was a miserable human being for the longest time of my life. It was craziness. And I thought to myself... Wow, I really gave that much of myself to this basketball team who I was a follower of. But I wasn't really a follower, I was a fan. That's perfect, Chance. That's perfect. I wasn't really a follower, I was just a fan. And that's how deeply it affected me. I never cared about a sport ever again like that. After that, I, I, I can appreciate sports, but I never cared about it. Then I thought about a time I was a follower, real follower. I had gone up to New Hampshire... And I had bought classes to go rock climbing. And the first day I went with a group. And the second day I got this guy. His name was Conrad. Conrad was a former Marine Corps climbing instructor. He was about my height, my build, um, a little bit older than He was older than me. He was like 40 or something like that. And it was just me and him. So he put me through the paces. He made me do and told me that I had to do what he did. It was just me, him, rope, and space below us. In that moment, I was a follower. I was a real follower. And I remember my climb with Conrad, made, way different from my climb with the other gentleman. His name was Travis. And we had a great conversation up there because he understood that his life was in my hands just as much as my life was in his. Because when you're climbing with somebody, where you put things matters. So I'll never forget him because of what transpired on the rocks. It was very simple, very base. But there's something about 
truly giving yourself over and following. I'd like to go to a scene. What you're hearing in the background is a waterfall. Think, and the scene is, you guys are now part of my cast. We're saying the scene together, all right? We are now 150 years back at Niagara Falls. Yes. Anybody know what a phenabulist is? A phenabulist is a tightrope walker. These are the gentlemen that walk the rope. They walk the line. And about 150 years ago, there was a gentleman named Charles Blondin, or also known as the Great Blondin. And what he did is he strung a line across Niagara Falls, 1,100 meters across, 160 meters above the bottom of the falls. And he began to walk his line. Now during this time, it's important to note that there were many people, many daredevils, that came out because this was kind of like NASCAR. You had 50, 60, 70, hundreds of thousands of people gathered to watch these people do these death-defying stunts. Some would go over in a barrel. Some would dive off, off the falls. Some were tightrope walkers, like Blondine. Not all of them survived their thrills. Hence, the gathering. It's kind of like NASCAR. You're waiting for the car crash to happen? Let's be honest. Okay. So Blondine makes it across, and the crowd goes... But that wasn't enough, because there were other tightrope walkers. So Blondine had this habit of constantly upping the ante. So he would go across, and you'll humor me for a second... For my illustration, you go across blindfolded. Now, I'm not blindfolding myself because I will fall off the step and injure myself. But you get the idea. We're going to do it like Karate Kid style, right? So he's going across, and he's just figuring it out by filling his way with his feet, right? And he's just going across, and he gets to the other side, and the crowd goes, Yes, yes. Another time he went across, he cooked an omelet on the wire. There are pictures of him down with a frying pan and an omelet. He ate, the, he ate his omelet in the middle of the falls. In another time, he passed the omelet that he was eating down to a ship below for them to eat. This man was amazing. He would go across with a sack over his head. One time he went across on stilts. But the, what set Charles Blondine apart from all the rest is his wheelbarrow story. So in order to up the ante, Blondine, and this is not the wheelbarrow he uses, gets a wheelbarrow and fills it with a sack of potatoes. And he proceeds to walk across the wire. Him and his potatoes. This man is crazy. Not only does he go one way, 1,100 feet, but he goes back the other way. That's almost a mile of walking across this wire. This took time. And in this particular occasion, not only was he famous but dignitaries from England had showed up. There was a duke that presented himself to watch his act. And on this particular occasion, it's, some are saying 75,000. Some are saying 100,000 people were gathered. Blondine finishes his walk across the wire with his wheelbarrow filled with potatoes. And he says to the crowd, Do you believe that I am great? Yes. Do you believe that I can do almost anything on this wire? Do you believe I could take a man in the wheelbarrow across these falls? Yes. 
Who will be my first volunteer? In that moment, there were crickets. Right? This is a true story. There were crickets in that moment. You see, everybody had gathered to see the great Blondine defy death and do amazing feats. But when it came to their own personal lives, do you trust me with your life? Right? Do we see the illustration? Chance, you can. Thank you. I think it's always important to put things into a perspective that we can almost grasp onto. You can just take the whole thing back, guys. Thank you so much, boys. Fan or follower? Fan or follower? Now, I'm going to tell you how the story ends at the end. There's more to it. And I think when we're dealing with our own Christian walk, when I started this, I started this and I was thinking, you cannot go back. Because right? this, this text had grabbed me. And I'm like, well, well, these multitudes were around him. They had seen the miracles. And it was like, once you've seen what Jesus can do, you can't go back. And I was pouring over and thinking, well, they still had to make a choice. Right? So they still had to make a choice as to whether or not they were going to keep going or not. No matter how harsh Jesus appeared to be, because the, the other people that were there, the multitudes that were there that were pressing him, you know, I want to follow you, wait for me while I go take care of my, my personal life. The multitudes that were there all heard this, right? We have this public, we have this public admission. And I'm always curious as to how those two men's story ended. What happened in the moments after that? Did the scribe get made fun of? Oh, you sat down now. Oh, you don't... <laughs> he said the thing about foxes and now you don't like them. Now you don't want to go. Right? Did the man that he said, let the dead bury the dead too, still follow him later on? Did he join him after his family matters were done? We don't know. I have a third story. Our third story picks up with a good gentleman named Nicodemus. Are you guys still with me? Yeah. All right, all right. So we're going to go into John chapter 3. I'm not going to read the whole text, but the opening here is, um, there was a man, one of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus said unto him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now this is a whole message in itself right there. Okay? So I'm really just taking the meeting at night. Who's Nicodemus? The Bible says he's one of the rulers of the Jews. Why? Because he's a member of the Sanhedrin. Who knows what that is? It's the high court, highest court. Think, think of uh, Supreme Court, but with executive powers, if you will. All right? The Sanhedrin is, uh, is the court that tried Jesus and ultimately sent him to the cross. He's a member of that court. That's why he's meeting him at night. So Jesus is prowling, if you will. He's just doing his thing. And everywhere he goes, people can't stop talking. They, they can't, they can't, there's no way to articulate the hope that he gave people with the things that he did and the way that he spoke. 
and the way that he lived. There's no way to, 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 to not talk about Jesus at this time. So these Pharisees hear nothing but, who is this man Jesus? Who is this man Jesus? They are, the fa- you have to understand, they're not being compared, probably, I don't know, I would assume so, to Jesus. So we have this evening meeting. And in the evening, he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. He's calling him teacher. This high priest, top-notch of society, is calling the upstart rabbi teacher. And having this conversation as if he's the student. And he was. Because Jesus was the master teacher. And in this moment, we see the fan. Right? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to meet down here and, you know, Bill, let's just talk. Remember that time we were out in the, uh, at the modulars laying the foundation? Remember that? I do. Remember putting in those footings? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's just between him and I. You guys have no idea what that means. Everybody else that references Nicodemus and Jesus in the evening just referenced Nicodemus and Jesus in the evening. Only Nicodemus and Jesus know what was going on. Well, I mean, we do because we're reading the Bible, so we know. But at the time, it was just the two of them meeting. So let's jump a little. I'm going to skip when Nicodemus sticks up for Jesus. You know, they, the court wanted to prosecute Jesus right away. And it was Nicodemus' voice who said, Isn't it in our law that we should hear what a man is and, and what he's about before trying him? Those were Nicodemus' words. And that's what got Jesus actually into court instead of just being sent out. But Nicodemus had power. The next time we see Nicodemus is in verse 19. And what is he doing? Nicodemus comes back onto the scene with a hundred pounds of spices and linens to anoint the dead body of Jesus Christ. Him and Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who was also a secret fan of Jesus. But in this moment, after Jesus is crucified, right? All of this melee takes place. Here are these two members of the highest council walking up to take down Jesus' bloody, torn apart body. And we have to keep that, keep it as graphic as it is. It wasn't a pretty nice sight. Jesus' body was a mess. Not only did Nicodemus purchase the, the things required to, to handle and clean Jesus, but him and Joseph of Arimathea cleaned his body, wrapped it in linen, procured the tomb in front of everyone for all the world to see. In this moment, they chose, I'm out. I'm out, I'm, I'm out of trying to make myself look a certain way. I'm out of trying to uh, 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 be a certain way. I'm done. I love this man. I love the words. I, I love the God that he serves. I believe that he is the Christ and the Messiah. Something happened in that, in that evening meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus that's not even in the text. Because if we just read the words, we're like, whoa. And we see the earnest that Nicodemus had because he pressed Jesus. Well, what do you mean? And the conversation continues. I think about what happened after he was buried when they went back to the council. When they went back to their co-workers and their peers. What happened in that moment? What happened when Jesus' body 
was gone. Were they accused of conspiracy? Were they interrogated? What happened next? We wouldn't know about Nicodemus if he didn't make the transition from fan to follower. Lots of people had meetings with Jesus at night. Lots of people were big fans of Jesus Christ. Lots of people believed who Jesus Christ was. Lots of people did. You want the vernacular? Lots of people came to church. Lots of people called themselves Christians. Lots of people said that they, they, I love you. Lots of people said I wouldn't leave. Lots of people said I, I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm I'm here. This is it. This is my home. That's personal. Uh, don't get me. I'm not even going to go there. It's, it's, I'm not ready for that yet. The difference between fan and follower is the stepping out. Because once you step out, you can't go back. Now, we've made it seem really bad because we say things like coming out, and we all know what that, that insinuates. But is it any less scandalous? Is it any less scandalous now for a Christian? Do you think it's scandalous to come out? Do you think it's scandalous to take a step where you are, where you can't go back? You see, with Blondine, if you got into that wheelbarrow and you got onto the high wire, what are you going to do? Turn around? <laughs> That's it. You're stuck. You're in for the whole way. You make that choice and you're in for the ride. Jesus is a little bit more forgiving, I think, than a high wire. Because he gives us free will all across the way. It's a constant process of stepping out and choosing. It's a constant process of taking that risk over and over and over again. And if you don't choose him today, he is the grace for you to choose him again tomorrow. If you don't choose him right now, he doesn't walk away from you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? Okay. I'm going to come to closing now. Real simple. Who's with me so far? Let's go back to Mr. Blondine. So nobody gets into the barrel. It's quiet. Quiet as crickets. And the water falls. Here is this man who's done all these crazy feats, worked his whole life. Don't, this isn't just one moment. This is over and over and over. He crossed Niagara Falls like six or seven times throughout his career. So in this moment, all these people are following him, perhaps betting on whether or not he was going to fall to his death. It's a possibility. We have this offer. If you believe I am so great, get into my barrel and I'll take you across for a ride you'll never forget. And we get the crickets. And one man steps forward to get into his barrel. Who? Anybody guess? Anybody know the story? His agent. That's the guy that should, right? <laughs> After you get that far, huh? <laughs> I can't help but think of their relationship. See, his agent went from a money guy, profiting guy, oh, I, I'll promote this act, maybe possible friend, um, admirer, to a real believer, a real follower. I'd love to know what they talked about on the walk. I'd love to know what they talked about on the walk. 
We wouldn't be talking about Charles Blondin if his agent hadn't gotten into the wheelbarrow. Everything else that Blondin did, however crazy it sounds, could have been duplicated. Except for this one act. No one dared. No one dared even offer. Get in a wheelbarrow and I'm going to wheel some stranger with horrible balance across a 1,000 plus foot rope over Niagara Falls? Absolutely not. I don't trust anybody that much. Am I going to trust my life with anybody? With no gain for myself? Whose story did the agent promote? I don't know who the agent's name is. I know Charles Blondin. The agent put his life on the line for a story that was greater than his. If that's not the Christian... If that's not what, we, what we're here to celebrate, I don't know what is. Right? So the question then goes to you guys. Why we're here. What do you choose? Fan or follower? I have these notes here. Disregard them. <laughs> Might peek at them for a second. Yeah, you guys can come up. I think about it and I try to apply it to my own life. And the part to all the stories that I get arrested with is the man with the family. Obligations. These are things that I'm responsible for. You're calling me away from all of that? And I honestly believe that the Lord is kind of almost saying, unclasp your hands from things that you do not have control over. Unclasp your life from areas that are dead. This does not mean giving up on people, spouses, kids, or anything like that. I'm not saying anything along those lines. It means I'm telling you, and I believe that the Word is telling us, that we are putting priorities in the wrong places. We, are, we, have, we have decided, we have made the choice on what is most important in this life and what this life is about. And unfortunately, the truth of the matter is this life is about honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line foundation of the whole thing. And if we deviate that from that in any area, we lose sight of our path. Because then everything else becomes more important. Everything else then sacrifices to Christ as opposed to us sacrificing our lives to Christ and everything else. You understand what I'm trying to say. I find that for most of us, we deal with things like dissatisfaction. We deal with things like frustration or anger or um, let's go to positive things. We want more. We want uh, a bigger life. We want uh, a bigger story. We want more meaning in our life. Anybody resonate with those things? Is there anything else? What, what else do we want? Anybody? Call it out. Peace. What else? Anybody? Good relationships. Pastor Lynn is crushing it. Anybody else? Go ahead. Good health. Yes. Security. We want our families to be safe. We want to live in a safe place. These are all good and wonderful things, but they are byproducts of a life submitted under Christ, of a community submitted under Christ. A community submitted under Christ is a community that, well, dare I say the word? It's a four-letter word. We praise together. We pray together, and things change. What is the more? What is the sacrifice? Realistically, right now, what is our sacrifice right now? So for most of us, it's more time with the Lord. 
perhaps sacrificing a TV show that we can DVR, or whatever it is, right? And spend it in prayer, reading, talking to our children about a Bible verse, talking, talking at dinner or at lunch when we leave here, talking about the sermon again. It is simply taking our Christian faith realistically and taking honest, real steps with it. And what does that mean? That means that prayer happens without somebody or, the, or, or a text coming across saying, we have to get together and pray. That means in your own world, you're calling people together to pray. Now, I know about that because my mother does it all the time. I grew up that way. Dana Walcott over there would have family prayer meetings. And I used to toss my head. Oh, my gosh. She's like, oh, it's going to be quick. It's going to be quick. It'd be like two hours later. I'm like, ah. Oh. But it was great. I can say that. After the first 10 minutes, you're, you're bemoaning. You pass the 15-minute mark and you don't want to leave. It's true. The Spirit comes and there's a flow. But that's ownership. And that ownership is your choice to follow. It's not passive. The multitudes can gather to hear the speaker. You can come to church. And this, we can take this any way you want to, but you can come to church and sit down and listen. You don't have to lend your voice if you don't want to. You can sit there and not sing. You don't have to serve you don't, if you don't want to. You can just sit down there and take in. You don't have to get up here in front of anybody, share anything. You don't have to give a testimony. You don't have to do anything if you don't want to. You can stay at base level. I love Jesus. That's it. This chair is nice. Right? You're allowed to do that. Isn't God wonderful? You're allowed to do that. But, but, would you rather, I gave you one M&M, would you rather the whole factory? Would you rather a nugget of good news? Or would you like to live a life of overcoming victory? Would you like to come to church in a bad mood and leave in a good mood and then return to a bad mood? Well, I was two hours. Or would you like to have power and manna so that when things come to take you away from the Lord, take your spirit away, take your faith away, take your joy away, and turn you into a troll. No, let's be honest. How many people have troll moments? I will raise my, both my hands. I have troll moments. Right? And what happens? How does that happen? Well, you're disconnected. Right? The time wasn't spent. For most of us, for most of us, the mandate that the Lord is saying... Come follow me, it's time. Some of us, it's confrontation. Some of us, it is walking away and letting go. And admitting that we have a tendency, this world tells us, to be control freaks over every aspect of our lives. And that's not realistic. And it's not living. And it's not biblical. For some of us, it's taking a risk. It's coming out. And saying to that co-worker or that family member, listen, I'm a Christian. If you're open to it, I will pray with you about the situation that you talk about every day for the past five years. They may say no, but now you're out. Now you're out. The offer is out there. They can reject your offer. That's okay. It's about the offer. It's about the yes. And for most of us here in this room, I'm betting, just looking at your faces, you already know what I'm talking about for your own life. Amen? We're going to come to the table now. So, ushers, you can 
prepare as you as you normally do. Oh, thanks, boys. You guys are great. They walked in, all dewy-eyed, and I said, "Can I? Can you help me?" Like, yes. Let's put it down our coats and we're in. Thank you, boys. Unseen, I'm gonna blow you up. Every Sunday you move this table. Every, you don't want to even ask you, just do it. It's service. It's service. We wouldn't hear about Nicodemus if he didn't say yes. We wouldn't hear about him. He made a choice on his own to go buy the spices and herbs. He made a choice on his own to walk out in front of everybody and say, this is what I am and I love this man. The scribe and the disciple that pressed Jesus. They asked very simple, honest questions that anyone would show up in a multitude to do. If you went to a concert, and you could see people saying, I love you! Will you give up everything you have for me? Oh, there you go. Jamal's awesome. The man on Blondine's back, that's the agent. That's the agent. Amen? We're going to pray. Let's be honest with the moment, if you're having the moment. I believe you are. Come to this table. Ask the question. Am I a fan or am I a follower? If you want to be a father, ask this question. Lord, where is it it that you're leading me? Where do you want me to go? One thing. It starts so small and simple. We overcomplicate it in so many ways. The Lord is as simple as his word is. Come to me and I will give you life. I will give you everlasting water. I will handle and meet your needs. The Lord is not asking for us to live on some kind of superficial, codependent level where we just serve and have no lives. He is asking us to live on a codependent level for us to be with him. That our lives would be intertwined. And that our story would reflect him, the greater story. Lord, as we come to this table, we're saying, Father, that we want the more. We're saying, Lord, that we don't know how it looks. We can't figure it all out. We don't know what the road holds. But we trust you. We want you. We want more of you, Lord Jesus. I pray right now, Lord, that you would just permeate everyone's soul, Father. That you would fill this place in a way, Lord, that we can't help but talk about you. We can't help but think about how amazing and how good you are. How much you love us. And that the invitation for each and every one of us, each and every one of you, is still the same. Follow me. Follow me. Lord Jesus, would you have your way? Thank you, Lord. Well, on your way out, I just have to be honest and tell you that I'm just beaming with pride. Sorry. But if it shows, it's because I really feel it. I know Joe is. You know, I guess Dana and Lee are a little bit, too. And I don't mean just, could you just sit for one minute, I promise, just, just a couple of minutes? Not just because of the message this morning, which really, I think was a great, was a great, I, who didn't it touch? Who didn't it touch? 
It was good. It's good. What do you have? To, what is God? What is God speaking to you about this week? What's the risk you need to take? You know, we hear a lot about coming out of the closet in the culture we live in. What closet do we need to come out of? Who doesn't know that you're a Christian? What is God asking you to do this week to take that next step in following Christ? I don't think anybody's here because they want to be a fan. I think everybody's here because there's a part of you, God's calling you. You want to be that follower. And I'm proud this morning, not just of Naeem, and I'm proud of... I'm just so grateful to God. Let me tell you why. Because he didn't just bring a message. He is a message. He was a message standing up here this morning. And if you had eyes to see, you would know Naeem was a message this morning. You, he was. And you know what that message, one of, the, one of the many things that God was saying in here this morning? You know... Church, you, you hear us say it all the time. For fans, we, we understand what, what Naeem was saying this morning. But church, real church, are the people of God that have the life of God and live a life together. And that's what real community is. It's not just sitting on a seat behind a person, looking at somebody's back of their head and being polite every morning. Because there were a lot of... You know Stephen, the first martyr? When Stephen was martyred, Christ himself on his throne stood up to greet the first Christian martyr who was Stephen. And what I love about that story is that if you know anything about Bible history and tradition, you know that Stephen came to know the Lord as a young man and grew up in the community. Grew up in the community. You know what? It's hard growing in a community because there's risks. You rub each other. You have bad seasons. The church, you know, the church has rough moments. And that's when people jump. Very often we say to people, don't, don't jump ship yet. It's just a tough season right now. Hang in with the people of God. But I want to tell you, if you will really put your, put your life in, there's no independent Christianity if you're not living in a community. Naeem is the product of the community of God. That's the message this morning. And the product of parents who followed. And there's plenty of you in here, and I don't, I don't mean to just, you know, point him out this morning, but because he was the message this morning, I have the freedom to do that. He was the message. And because he's one of our sons in this house, we've seen him make decisions over a long period of time. Decisions that were tough, decisions to go his own way, to really make his faith real in his life, to, to move in the calling of God, wondering if this is God, wondering of what God's asking. So what you saw this morning is the, not only the message he gave, but the message he is. The commu- if you stay in the community of God, and plant your life, and give your life away, you will come to know God in a very real, real way. And it will change people's lives around you. It isn't about the people up here in the pulpit. It's about a body of people. It's about these young men who come up every week and serve and move the table. It's about whatever God asks you to do, put your hand to it and do it with joy. Because God sees 
every single, he's looking, he's looking, he's looking in the treasury. He's looking at who's taking care of those kids. He's looking at who's moving the table, who's up here preparing for hours to come and feed the people of God. The body of Christ is Christ is real. And if you want to meet him, you're going to meet him in his people most of the time. Well, thank you, Father. We're just so grateful this morning for your life. And, Father, we hear you this morning. We're not here because we want to be fans. We want to be followers, Lord. Each of us are at a different place, and you're asking different things of each of us. But, oh, God, will you give, will you give each person in this room the grace to follow you? Lord, not to lead our own lives, not to make our own decisions without following you and following your spirit. Father, we bless you for being with us in a very real and special way this morning. We just bless your people now as they leave this place. God, that we will give you the, give you your, we will give you our attention this week. We heard you this morning. You want our time. You want our hearts. You want our attention. Help us to give it to you this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Say hello to a few people on your way out. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.